Let us pray. Grant us, we beseech you, Almighty God, a steadfast faith in Jesus Christ, a cheerful hope in your mercy, and a sincere love to you and to all our fellow men. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation is the gospel appointed for the Feast of the Epiphany from the gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. Please rise in Jesus' name. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, when Herod was king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed, and all Jerusalem with him. He gathered together all the people's chief priests and experts in the law. He asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, because this was written through the prophet, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are certainly not least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and found out from them exactly when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report to me, so that I may also go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Then the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stood still over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with overwhelming joy. And after they went into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Since they had been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Dearly beloved, as we have rejoiced in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, so there is announced to you by the mercy of God also the joyous observance of the resurrection of the same our Savior. January 31st is Septuagesima Sunday, 70 days before Easter. On February 17th, Ash Wednesday begins the most holy season of Lent. On April 4th, we shall celebrate with great rejoicing the holy Easter festival of our Lord Jesus Christ. May 13th is the Feast of the Ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. May 23rd is the Feast of Pentecost. And November 28th is the first Sunday in the Advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. It's a typical site for our Christmas creches and nativity scenes to include the wise men or magi, erroneously called three kings, bringing their gifts. I'm not going to debate the historical validity of including them alongside the shepherds and angels and the ox and donkey, but instead let's learn from these men how to find the Christ and how to worship him. We meditate on these magi and let us ask with them, where is the king? In this we find first that the, world, the word reveals him and second that the world rejects him. 
And this can't be emphasized enough. God means for the word alone to be the final guide. Now, other evidences may aid in the search for truth and for Christ, but true faith is created, informed, strengthened, and sustained by the word only. The same word is also a stumbling block to those who are hard-hearted. We see this watershed between the Magi and King Herod. The search of those men from the east led them, naturally, to Jerusalem. Probably the star had vanished somewhere along their journey as they traveled, and so they reasoned that the likeliest place to find the king was the capital city. Beautiful and glorious Jerusalem with its mighty palace and temple, and that's where they went to ask the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And the answer that was given to them was not given by the wisdom of men, but by the proclamation and guidance of God. He caused the biblical scholars who had been called to Herod's court to read the prophecy from Micah, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are certainly not least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then look there at the reactions of both Herod and the Magi. Herod, having been alarmed, wickedly sought to earn his own victory, to conquer that newborn king who threatened his reign. Of course, as the hymn sings, Herod's fear was senseless, because he takes no realms of earth away who gives the realms of heavenly day. But this fear of Herod's would, you may remember, ultimately lead to the act of Herod's madness the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem. The Magi, on the contrary, did not doubt the word which directed them to humble Bethlehem, but instead they went there to find the king God anointed so that they might worship him in truth and in faith. This is why Luther wrote, the word overrides everything that is seen with the eye. The word overrides everything that is seen with the eyes. This is an exercise that we ought to maintain regularly, to close our eyes to the glories and beauties and the troubles and the cares of this world and to open our eyes instead to God's word. The worship and gifts of the Magi demonstrate this attitude. First, they give the child their goal. Jesus would later in his life teach, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And therefore, this gold is not a god, but it is turned into its rightful use in service to the true God. And this goes for all things in the world. None of it is an end in itself, not gold, not country, not science and reason, not family, not health, not sickness, not grief. Instead, each of these things is a servant of the Most High God. And there he was, that child, in the arms of his virgin mother. And then there he was, hanging and bleeding on the cross. Here he is in the Word. And there he is in the baptismal waters. And there he is in the bread and wine 
of the Holy Supper. And they give the child also their frankincense. In many churches, incense is burned in the divine service, signifying the prayers and the reverence of the people and also the presence of God. Luther says that we give Christ our frankincense when we confess that all that we have, we have from Him. And when we seek no other God, nor any other help or trust than only Christ, and when we in our need, trouble, and fear only flee to Him. And this incense is a focusing exercise, like folding your hands, and closing your eyes, and bowing your head. Dismissing all the distractions, all the beautiful things, and all the ugly things of this world. And instead we devote our whole hearts and minds and even our bodies to Him. And we bring Him our desires and our needs, our struggles and our griefs, and our joys and our praises. Finally, they give the child their myrrh, an embalming mixture. And so we give to Christ not only the good things we have, but we also give Him all that taints our life, the death that clings to our souls, and the sin that weighs us down. Well, does it seem wrong to give Him such an ugly and worthless gift? He Himself has said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And he not only promises to give us rest from our burdens, but he has already taken our burdens onto his shoulders when he took up the heavy wood of the cross. And there our sins were embedded into his flesh as the nails were pounded through his hands and his feet. Our death and condemnation weighed him down as he suffocated under the stress of his own sagging body. He was buried. And you and I are blessed by faith and by baptism to rise to new glorious life with him as he left that tomb empty behind him. So we find Christ nowhere except in the humblest things that God has chosen by which to show him. We might expect, like those magi, to find him in glory and unceasing joy. But that's not to be in this life. Instead, our joy transcends temporal pain, and in fact, it's embedded in that pain. It's in the pain of the cross. It's in the simple pages of Scripture read and preached by a plain man. It's in plain water, the commonest element in the world. And it's in unassuming bread and wine, the commonest food in the world. Jesus is found in suffering and humility, which is part of why the world rejects him. There are two ways to reject Christ, in fact. We, we walk a, a narrow middle path, a highway between two ditches, one on either side. We tend to talk of this as the narrow Lutheran middle in many circles. Now, the one ditch is more obvious, and it's demonstrated by King Herod, and that is having the word, but not having faith. Because if faith doesn't receive the word, you see, then that person does not, in actuality, have the word, but instead he throws it before him, and there it becomes a stumbling block. This is what Jesus meant when he cited Psalm 118 and said, The stone the builder is rejected has become the cornerstone. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. 
Herod, the new Pharaoh, hardened his heart against the word. He did not see the truth that this king who was born in Bethlehem was for his salvation, but instead he saw only opposition to himself. He heard the word, but he rejected it. He had no faith. He died in misery and shame, broken to pieces over that stone as that new king rose to life. This is the rejection of many in the world. The word falls on deaf ears. In reality, this is the state of all of us. By our sinful nature, we are dead and immovable. We're enemies of God in sin. We would rather wish to be our own kings and queens, fearful of any contender to the throne of our hearts. But on those dead and blackened hearts, the light of God's Son shines as His word is spoken aloud. This isn't the word of any persuasive argument. It's the word inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the word of God that spoke the world into existence. It's the word of our Savior who spoke dead Lazarus out of the tomb. Such a word can surely speak us into spiritual life. And so our prayer is that the light of God's word continues to shine in our hearts, to soften that stone and to return us to him. Let us not be like Herod. God grant us grace. The second form of rejection is more sinister. If the first was the word without faith, the second is faith without the word. This sort of rejection seeks God's promises where he has not given them. Think of the way the devil tempted Jesus. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus reject, recognized that rejection and deception for what it was, and he replied, again it is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. This rejection of Christ, therefore, might come with some part of God's word, but it's always misinterpreted. It's always applied and interpreted in such a way that it fits the sort of life and salvation that that person has already chosen for himself. It's a rejection that assumes that it's faith. It's a rejection that objects that it's faith. This sort of rejection might take issue, for example, with the way God chose to deliver Jesus from Herod's cruelty. After all, couldn't he protect the child with his almighty power so that Herod couldn't harm him? Why were the other babies killed? Why did Jesus have to move out to Egypt and back? I've explained this before as the theology of glory. This is a faith that believes in itself and tries to get some of God's word to fit into it rather than taking God's word and basing faith upon it. It manifests as both a false hope and a false fear. The false hope is that God will make everything work out in this life, proving to all the naysayers that they were wrong and that however bad things get, They'll always bounce back to better times. It's unimaginable to this false hope, for example, that we might find ourselves in a totalitarian state that outlaws Christianity, and that Christians might be imprisoned for exercising their faith, 
or that we might lose our homes, our jobs, or our families. And that's connected to that false fear that if we don't make things right in our nation or in our community, well, then God's word has failed. If the laws of our country don't match up to God's word, this false fear believes, they object then that you have no hope. This false faith believes that religion is a personal matter, and really little more, even though they might try to make others fit in to their own personal faith. You can worship God in your home, in isolation. That's enough. There's no need to confront anyone else. There's no need to stand, sit, or kneel beside other Christians, besides maybe my immediate family, but even there, that's unnecessary. A church, a preacher, the sacraments, well, all these things are nice, but not essential. This is all without God's word. Jesus says of this sort that the stone the builders rejected will crush anyone on whom it falls. God's word may be rejected in favor of a false faith, but his word will come to pass. And Jesus foretold this in the illustration of the sheep and the goats. Those on the left were surprised to learn that they weren't demonstrating the faith that God demanded because they were so caught up in their own inventions. But in what he tells the sheep on the right, we learn where to find Christ. And again, it's in humble circumstances in weakness, in ugliness, and in darkness. It's in service to his brothers. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or lacking clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, Amen, I tell you, just as you did it for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Let us be like those magi, trusting in God's word and accepting God's proclamations despite our own ideas, our own hopes. He is, after all, wiser than we are. And his purpose is our salvation. This is how St. Paul could write, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, while being full or hungry, while having plenty or not enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So for us, whoever holds the governmental offices, whatever policies are passed, whatever the outcome uh, or the ongoing situation of a global pandemic, whatever the temperature or the weather, whether we live or die, wherever we work, whatever the health of our family and friends, whatever the struggles or joys that we face, we can endure it all through Christ. Christ who, precisely because he was rejected and suffered the scourge and the spitting and the thorns and the mocking and the nails and the cross, because of all that, he won the victory and the kingdom for you and me. With those magi, We bow before the king and worship him, however humble the circumstances appear in which we find him, because it's in the cross. It's in rejection, it's in persecution, it's in lament and misery in the word, 
in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, that we have God's absolutely certain promise of His grace, His forgiveness, and His life, and His salvation. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.